continue today in a series that I started a few weeks ago, and it was kind of a non-series series, but I began that series with talking about the importance of the local church, that you cannot and I cannot survive and live for God on our own that we need the body of Christ, that we need a shepherd who will help lead us in the path, a shepherd that preaches the Word of God, the whole counsel of God, not just a little piece here and there, but preaches everything that you and I need to know to get to heaven, to live in a way that's pleasing to Jesus Christ. I then preached about our God who is worthy of every praise. Aren't you thankful that we can praise God today by lifting our hands and clapping our hands and singing unto the Lord? He is worthy of all of that and then some, and He is even worthy of the manner in which we live. That it's not just about whether we come to this place and we, we lift our hands or we lift our voice. And we clap our hands. All of those are needed and necessary but how we live when we walk out of this building is a manner of worship to the Lord. And then we looked at growing in spiritual maturity. And in that message, a number of things, one of those being walking in a way that's worthy of the Lord. Those three and the next four messages fit in a series that I have just entitled Being a Disciple. And really, these seven messages are the seven marks of a disciple. I preached through those last year. But we see these themes over and over throughout the Scripture. And so I'm revisiting those seven and we'll do so again because we need a reminder. I'm going to preach today from Philippians chapter 2 read 11 verses you may be seated you've been standing Philippians chapter 2 in the New American Standard therefore if there is any encouragement in Christ if there is any consolation of love if there is any fellowship of the spirit if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today for the next little bit, I want to preach about ministry in the church. Ministry in the church. There is a number of human maladies or sicknesses that we have as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve. In fact, even the fact that we're talking about that, inherent in in humanity is this idea of sin. And because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden that you and I now are born with a propensity or we are born with a sin nature and we're born with a desire to sin. We like to blame Adam and Eve for that and And specifically, the Bible blames Adam for that, who was the head of the family. But had Adam not sinned, maybe somebody else would have. We probably wouldn't be perfect, and the angels in heaven weren't perfect. They rebelled, or one-third of them rebelled against God. And so there is something about free will that makes people want to, or angels even, do their own thing. And we call some of this, and one aspect of this, selfishness. Humans are inherently selfish. Now people have all manner of of selfish uh, tendencies, and and selfishness by itself is not just a, a certain slice, but selfishness is probably on a continuum where you can be more or less selfish, and, and you can look at somebody and say, man, they're really selfish, and you say, I'm not. I would like to think that I'm not selfish. But when it comes down to the last piece of pizza, oh, stand back. It belongs to me. (laughs) I can give certain things away and I can do things for people, but in certain scenarios, I mean, I'm having to battle this selfishness. When it's the last tamale, Cesar might be after it (laughs) instead of me. It's, It's just... There are certain things that we're selfish about, and I want, and, and the reality is I want what I want when I want it. We see that when we get to fast food, and it's not that fast. I went to McDonald's today, as is my custom on the Sabbath day. Before I, show, I, before I come to church, and I, I pick up the donuts, and I put out the signs, and then I go to McDonald's. I order in the app. Maybe as I'm driving, don't tell anybody watching online, including my wife. (laughs) I pulled up this morning to the drive-thru. Two drive-thru lanes. People on my right at lane number two, they place their order, they pull on. I'm just sitting there waiting on somebody. Hello. (laughs) Anybody ever done that? Is it just me? After about two minutes, I'm like, that's enough of this. I'm going to the window. I pull up to the window, and the guy's shaking his head because somebody didn't take my order. But not only can we be selfish, but we're impatient. I was just talking about that with somebody a couple days ago. I mean, impatience is not a virtue that I possess all the time. And so we have these various things, and, and many times what we do is we look out for number one. And number one is usually ourself. And so we're looking out for our interest and what is best for us. In the corporate world, there, there is a euphemism or a saying that people climb the, the ladder. And usually when you climb the ladder, it is at the expense of others. 
that you're hoping you beat them out for that promotion. And sometimes you'll make sure you beat them out for that promotion by sabotaging their work or by talking about them. And so then you get the job because we're trying to get ahead of others. We live in a culture where there are very few servant leaders. There are very few leaders who uh, lead in a way that is serving the people and what is in the best interest of the people. Instead, the leaders lead and they do what is best for themselves. All you have to do is look at most of the politicians around. They vote to keep themselves in power and they they will vote to, to tax you and to decrease their taxes or they will vote for various things while they have and they they have health care for the rest of their lives and they don't have to pay a dime for it or various things that they do and they're they're looking out for themselves it's not about the people that they lead they they don't vote for what's best for their state or their constituents they vote to put money in their pocket which is why it's important that we vote biblical values but this is not a new problem this is an ongoing problem we see this take place in the book of genesis where cain and abel both offer sacrifice and cain's sacrifice is rejected by god and abel's is accepted and so cain in his anger at not being accepted and that his gift wasn't what god wanted he kills his brother abel because he wants to be the best, or he wants to be at least equal, if not better, than Abel. Or Jacob and Esau. Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, talking his brother out of his birthright with a bowl of soup because he's hungry. It's not exactly a fair trade. And then deceiving him out of the blessing of their father. People often doing what is best for themselves. I've come to tell you today that we are to be counter-cultural, that God has called us to be different than the world. And God has called us not to look out for ourselves, but He has called us to look out for others. He has called us to do what is best for those around us, not just what is best for us. Paul will write this letter to the church at Philippi. Paul had established the the Philippian church and this letter is a letter of joy. Joy is a common theme, joy and rejoicing. You see it throughout the letter. But not only is it a letter of joy, but it is a letter about partnership in the gospel. That that Paul is thanking, in some essence, the, the Philippian church for partnering with him in Spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would then, in chapter 1, talk about his imprisonment. He's in prison, he has been, and he talks about the fact that his going to prison, while bad for him, is good for the Philippian church. He says because it is making them bold in their witness. What Paul says is this, I'm in jail, I may die, but you see me in jail and you hear about me in jail. And he says, 
what you should do instead of being scared is it should make you bold in your witness that if I'm going to still stay faithful to Jesus, you can stay faithful in the face of persecution and stand firm for the gospel. And Paul would then say, for me to live is Christ. If I live, it's to be for Christ's glory, but if I die, it is gain because I go to be with Jesus. All of this is in chapter 1, and he further would say this, I am ready to be martyred and go to heaven. But I believe it's better to be here so I can help my fellow Christians. An act of selflessness. He's like, I'm ready to die, man. If they come and kill me, all right, I go to heaven. No more pain, no more suffering. I'm in heaven, but I will stay in my bonds. I will endure affliction because it's better for you. And my message today is not to call us to endure persecution and affliction, but to have that attitude where we are doing what is best for the body of Christ. Specifically, in a local church setting. So from this passage, I I want to pull four truths about ministry and, and understand this, that ministry in the Bible is the same word for serving. That to serve is the equivalent of ministering. So whether you Look at it as serving or ministering. Either way, it is the same thing. And I have chosen to use the word ministry because that has just a more positive connotation. But the first truth is this, is that ministry promotes unity. That when we serve one another, it promotes unity in the church and in the body of Christ. And Paul would say it this way, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That when we're serving one another, it is not about my agenda or your agenda, it is about His agenda. That when we're, we're coming alongside one another and we're loving like Jesus would have us to love, and we're loving our neighbors, and we're even loving our enemies. It brings us together because we are loving like He loves. And aren't you glad that Jesus loved you? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love is that? That's the love that you and I need to have. It's that we have a love one for another that causes us to serve one another. So to have the same mind, the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That purpose is the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would say in Philippians 1.27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. He said, I want you to stand firm and to be united as 
a body of believers who are preaching the gospel and have one purpose in mind. Paul would tell us to live in unity. He says, if you are encouraged because you know Jesus, live in unity. Anybody encouraged that you know Jesus? Where would I be if it were not for the Lord? If the Lord were not on my side, where would I be? So everything I face, I know that I am not alone because I have Jesus. That is an encouragement to know that we are not walking through this world alone, but we have Jesus by our side. Anybody thankful that not only is He by your side, but He can be in you by the power of the Holy Spirit? He said, if you have any consolation because Jesus loves you, anybody thankful that Jesus loves you? He said, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, Paul would write it this way in Ephesians, by one Spirit, we are baptized into one body. If you've been apostolic for any length of time and you've traveled around and you see people, they look apostolic. You just sense something about them and maybe it's the way they're dressed or maybe it's their attitude and maybe it's just their demeanor, their countenance. There's a, an affinity that you have. You want to talk to them because they're part of the family. Because they have the same spirit that you have and they, that is the power of the Holy Spirit living within us and we want to connect with them when we see them in the store, or we see them on vacation, or we see them in a restaurant, it's like, hey man, I recognize them. That's somebody who's following Jesus. There is something about the fact that we have fellowship of the Spirit. He says, if you have any positive feelings for one another, he said, make my joy complete. What I would tell you is that when we serve one another, we put our, each other on the same level. That when we do unto others what we would have them do unto us, that cr- creates a unity. That we're all in this together. We're all serving Jesus together. We're all following Him together. The Bible speaks of unity in many ways. Sometimes it speaks of unity that when people are united and they're united around a bad thing, it's impossible to stop them because they're all working together. But when we are united around the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no telling who God will reach through us when we are united. The second thing is this, is that ministry demonstrates unselfishness. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And that's hard when there's only one piece of pizza. Now, when you've been in leadership in a variety of different ways, one of the things that, depending on the scenario, they say good leaders eat last. 
I do that some, and I struggle some. It's like, man, I want to make sure there's still some left for me. <laughs> now, every sermon is not about food. But it's an easy example, and if there's one piece of pie or one piece of cake at your house, do the kids fight over it and go, yeah, man, they, they, they all want it. How many ways can you cut this up so everybody gets a little piece? But if we bring it into the church, to use another food, there's illustration, there's only one donut left. Who gets the donut? Do we look out for our brother and say, you know what? I don't really need that donut. I would rather you have the donut. Or when people are struggling and they're in need, we have the opportunity to, to give or help somebody. Man, if I give, this is my Starbucks money for the week. they need groceries this week are we selfish or do we serve them do we put them ahead of ourselves yesterday uh, Cesar and I <laughs> got to help a family in our community a family we'd never met I had some furniture that someone had given the church and the lady who gave it said, you know, it's, man, it's good stuff. You can go sell it, make money for the church. And I'm like, you know, that would be good, but somebody's going to have a need. So yesterday, Cesar and I connected up and took a bed to a family that recently immigrated It was a heavy bed. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> they didn't live on the ground floor. Had to carry it upstairs. And it's not just a straight staircase. Oh, no. It's one of those cutback staircases. And we had to slide it over the rail and try to get it up there. Got my workout for the day. But when I walked in, decent apartment, newly renovated, and they had a small card table, two chairs, a blow-up mattress on the floor, and a crib. The effort is worth it. Putting the time in it is worth it because people have needs and they were putting other people's needs ahead of themselves and tomorrow I'm going back to deliver more furniture to them. Well, that's not to pat me on the back, but it is to say this, it's that it's real easy to go, I ain't got time for that. I could do other stuff. But these are people that are outside of our church. They may never come here but they need help and they need 
provision. How much more should we be in the body of Christ and in the house of God be going, hey, my brother needs help or my sister needs help. What can I do to help them? Yeah, I would rather be spending my time playing video games, but I, I, can, I can stop and I can go help somebody. I, I'd rather be watching sports, but I could go help somebody. I'd rather be waking leaves. No, no just kidding. <laughs> All of us have things we would rather do and we could do, but we're called to be unselfish and we're called to serve people. And so serving demonstrates our unselfishness when we're willing to do something, when we're willing to get to church early to, to do donuts or to serve coffee or to greet people or to clean the house of God, whatever it is, when we're serving one another, it demonstrates that we are putting our, our own desires and our wants aside and we're putting Jesus first and we're putting His people first. Ministry demonstrates unselfishness. Number three is this, that ministry imitates Christ's likeness. Paul would say it this way, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. That when we serve one another and when we minister to the body of Christ, we imitate Christ likeness that we make ourselves of the same attitude and the same mind as jesus have this attitude it is a that particular verb is this it is a present active imperative which means it is an ongoing having an attitude of christ likeness it's not just a one-time deal and it's like hey i did it once before but it is an ongoing having this mind in you which was also in christ jesus but understand that the Bible and the New Testament specifically never gives us a command without the possibility of us being able to fulfill that command. Oftentimes it is not that we can fulfill it in our own power, but He gives us, God that is, gives us the ability to fulfill what He has called us and commanded us to do. So we can fulfill this when we have the Spirit of God living in us, that we can put others first and we can imitate the attitude of Jesus. Theological terms, this phraseology, theologians call it kenosis, where he does this emptying of himself, and there's a whole lot of theology behind that. But, but suffice it to say this, that God, the one true God of the universe, comes in the form of a man. He who was God came in the form of a man. And He did not hold on to those abilities and privileges as God. But understand this, He did not cease to be God, but limited Himself to that which sinless humanity could do. The Bible tells us of Jesus, it gives us Multiple things that Jesus did that only God can do so we know He's God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can walk on the water but God? And Jesus made claims over and over to His deity where things like before Abraham was, I am, and I am, ego emi, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Using that phraseology from the burning bush, 
When Moses asked God in the burning bush, who should I say that sent me? He says, I am that I am. And the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, would use that word, those two words, ego, I, me, and Jesus would use those of himself. No other Jew would use those phrases. They would say, I am, in a different way. But Jesus would say, I am. Just like the God that spoke in the burning bush said, I am that I am, Jesus would claim that and make statements about Himself, claiming to be the God of the universe. And while He's the God of the universe, He's walking around in a human form. Not just a shell, not just a human body, but having all the feelings and the actions that a human would have. He was hungry, He thirsted. He wept. He was moved with compassion. But in all of that, Jesus would say, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to be ministered to, but I came to minister. I'm not here So that people can give me just accolades right now. That's not my purpose. I've come to help those who are in need. I've come so that the blind may see and the lame may walk. And the poor would have the gospel preached to them. I've come to set at liberty those who are bruised. And I've come to free the captives. And I've come to heal all those who are afflicted. I've come to bring salvation. I haven't come to be served. But to serve. Paul would say this at the end. He said, making ourselves, the end of that that passage, verse 7, taking the form of a bondservant. That bondservant idea is this. It's throughout the Old Testament where when people are made servants because they would owe somebody money and there would be a period of time when they would have to work it off, much like indentured servants in the Middle Ages. They would have to to work off their debt. And after working off their debt, they would make the decision, you know what, I, I like it here. I don't want to go back on my own. It wasn't that good out there by myself. I, I got myself in financial trouble and I couldn't take care of myself, but, but I like it working for this, this person. I like being a servant in their house. And they would make themselves a bond servant. And some would say that part of the way that they would do that is that they would take an awl and they would, they would drive it through their ear, signifying that they were there and serving this person out of love. And what Jesus did, He was a bond servant. He came out of love. He didn't have to do it, but He came because He loved you and me. And when we serve others and we demonstrate the love of Jesus to them, we imitate His attitude and His mindset. And God will empower us to do this. Quickly, number four is this. Ministry acknowledges Christ's lordship. It acknowledges Christ's lordship. Daniel, if you could put this on the screen, Philippians 2.8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That when we serve others and when we minister to others, what we're doing is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That we're saying He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords and that He is in charge of everything and that at His name everything will bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. Everybody will come to that point one day where they acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. What I would tell you, I would rather do it in this life than wait till that life to have to acknowledge Him as King of King and Lord of Lords because if I wait until then, the end result is not going to be very good. Because if I do it only in that day, and if I do it in the day of judgment, then what that means is I am being judged because I didn't call Him that Lord here in this life. But when we serve and when we, we do the things that He has called us to do, we acknowledge that He is Lord. Chapter 1, Paul spoke of his persecution. And ultimately, what Paul would say is his persecution was nothing compared to what Jesus did by going to the cross for you and me. He who was innocent paid the penalty for our sin. Pilate was right when he said, I find no fault in him. There's no fault in Him. There's no sin in Him. There's nothing to justify punishing Him. There's nothing to justify putting Him to death. There is no fault. But Jesus, who was sinless, paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. And because of that, His name is above every name. And it's not just that it's... You can say Jesus, it's not just because there's magic in the name, it's because that His name means Yahweh has become our salvation, that God is now our Savior. And when we enter into relationship with Him, something happens and something transacts and we are then part of His kingdom when we enter into a saving relationship with Him. And we do that by repentance, by water baptism, and by the infilling of the Spirit. Evidence. Speaking in tongues, but Paul would say this. There is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I'm so thankful that I can do it this side of judgment and this side of eternity that I can call on him and be saved. Ministry promotes unity. It demonstrates unselfishness. It imitates Christ's likeness. And it acknowledges Christ's lordship. Obviously, a message such as this is has an application of serving in the church. And, and that is good and 
that is needful. But more than just serving in the church, there is a, an underlying attitude that is most important. And that underlying attitude is this, is that I just want to help people. I want to be like Jesus and I want to serve people and I want to help them. I, I want to meet their needs and I want God to work through me to meet the needs of others. Pre-COVID, people were serving their own donuts, making their own coffee here. COVID hit and because of possible spread of the virus, we started serving. We had people that would serve. Every week, still at this stage, I'm the one making out the, the volunteer list. And people aren't so much concerned today about the spread of COVID, so they could make their own coffee. They could serve their own donuts. But it's not about whether or not it's needed by because of COVID. It's really because it's an opportunity for somebody to serve. It's an opportunity for somebody to help somebody else. It's an opportunity to demonstrate unselfishness. It's an opportunity to go, I want to be a blessing. Most of the people in this room, you can open the door for yourself. But greeting says something. I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. What can I do for you? And if we can't do it in little things, can we do it in the big things? It's just a little, just a little opportunity. What I would say to you is this. To minister as the church, you have to be in the church. You can minister and serve people in this room and never be in the church. The church is not a club, it's not an affinity group. The church is not something you just decide you want to join. It's not just, I'll pay some dues, I'll pay a little bit of money, and now I'm a member. There are a lot of clubs that you could join today. You have to meet certain criteria. Sometimes it's gender specific. Sometimes it's certain economic status. Sometimes it's certain types of employment. Fill out an application. 
pay your dues, and you're in the club. The church is different. It's not like that. To be in the church, you have to be born again. Everybody can come to this building that wants to come. But to be in the church, there is a requirement to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship is not just knowing His name. That relationship is not just knowing some facts about Him. That relationship is not even believing certain truths about Him. But it is about being in relationship with Him. It is about following Him. It is about following Him in the Gospel. The Bible is clear that the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which means that Jesus, who was sinless, who was perfect, died and took the penalty of sin in our place. He was buried and He arose on the third day. That death, that burial, and that resurrection, that is the Gospel, but it's only good news if we apply the Gospel to our lives. If it was good news just because He did it, everybody would be saved. Everybody would be going to heaven. There would be no hell. There would be no eternity apart from, from God if it's just the fact that He did it and was enough, but it's not just enough that he did it. It's not even enough that we believe that he did that. But what it takes is entering into a relationship by following him in the application of the gospel. That just as he died, we die in repentance. Just as he was buried, we're buried in the waters of baptism where we take on his name and he takes our sins away. And just as He was resurrected, we arise to walk in newness of life through the infilling of the Spirit, evidence and speaking in a language we don't know, just like Peter and James and John and Mary, the mother of Jesus, did. Just like they did in Acts chapter 2 and just like Paul would do later and just like they would do in Samaria and just like they would do at the household of Cornelius and just like they would do in Acts 19 at Ephesus. That is what God calls us to today. So to minister as the church, you have to be in the church. And if you haven't done any or all of those things I just mentioned today, it would be your day. Jesus would say, by your love one for another, all men will know that you are my disciples. By how much you love one another and how much you get along and how much unity you have and how much serving you do to them and how much helping them. And things that come out of that love. And to be sure you can help people and not love them. You can do it for the wrong reasons, but when you do it out of love, it becomes pretty apparent. And Love is not just a state of being, it is an action verb. And 
So when we love people, we do things and we help people and we come alongside people and we minister to people. By your love, all men will know you are my disciples. It is a truth that you help and serve those whom you love. I would tell you, if you love the church, serve its members. That if you love those around them, help them. Be united one with another. Be unselfish. Imitate the attitude of Christ and acknowledge His Lordship. Would you stand together with me? I said this earlier. God never commands us to do something as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ that He doesn't empower us and help us to do. So in order to do what He has called us to do, it takes the empowering of His Spirit. When I want that last donut... might need him to prompt me and go, hey, let somebody else have it. When I don't want to spend my time doing this or that, but I need his spirit to prompt me and to help me and go, hey, you can do it. I want you to do it. He will help us. My call to action is threefold, and then we're going to have a, just a brief moment of prayer. If you're not currently serving, Join the serve team. You can see me and I can help you get signed up to do something. It doesn't have to be all-consuming. It doesn't even have to be every week, but find a way to serve. It's an easy opportunity to minister in the church. Serve one another when you hear that they have needs and they need help. Come alongside them and serve them. And not to elevate ourselves, and, but just like what Cesar and I did yesterday. Help those outside the church so that they will experience the love of Jesus. That when people have needs, come alongside them to help them. And if they don't know Jesus, let them know that Jesus loves them. That you're demonstrating that love to them by your actions.